podcasts. There are a million of them, and they're all amazing. What the hell? You are now listening to the sounds of Soul Radio, hosted by Dan Carlin. This week, we are hanging around with actor Robert Fanaro. We're talking his iconic role on The Sopranos, pivoting to The Irishman, working with Martin Scorsese on vinyl, and posting food porn on Instagram. Do I know my psychology? It's an all-new episode of Soul Radio. Yeah, brother. What's happening? Good. Not too much. I had to run an errand, so I didn't have time to, like, make my own coffee, but I did stop at Starbucks. Yeah, Starbucks is very strong coffee, man. Oh, yeah. No, like, one cup of cold brew, it'll fuck you up for a good, like, five hours (laughs) tops, or minimum. (laughs) That's what I meant. Yeah, I hear you. Here we are. So what are your weekend plans so far? Uh, nothing much, you know what I mean? It's just, um, nothing really, uh, extemporaneous, <laughs> you know, I don't have any plans this weekend. Love Last it. weekend I went to a gathering for my niece, uh, in New Jersey, which at a golf course, it was outdoors. Yeah. It was, Very uh, cool. Were you, at, were you, at, I'm sorry. Very challenging, Danny. Mm. Were you at that Sopranos Con event that was like at Tony's house a couple weeks back? No, no, no. I wasn't. I wasn't there. Ah. Well. Were you there? Oh no! I wish. I wish. I wound up getting a job on the weekends, and uh, yeah, I, I, I wasn't able to even like reach out to my guy Michael Mota about it. So. Mikey Moto. What up, Mike? That that original event like a year ago was a lot of fucking fun, though. Uh, it was a it was a blast to see a lot of the guys that I haven't seen in in, in a long time, and I and I also think that uh, uh, the people who ran it, Mike and the other people, were really uh, they included everyone. So I mean, it does take a lot of people, a lot of actors, different actors actors that had walk-ons and other actors that had a little bit more and then other actors who had a little bit more than a little bit more. So, but, uh, it all made up the show. That's the one thing I did like about the event that it included everyone. And uh, we also had Nick Valiongro, their Tony Lips, uh, son who won an Academy Award for Green Book. Awesome. He was there. So, I mean, there was a lot of different, uh, people, the writers of the book, the Sopranos, the Dire Soprano Diaries. So it was a it was a really multi uh, um, uh, you know multifaceted uh, media uh, gathering. Uh, oh, absolutely! Yeah, so uh, it was a lot of fun. You were there, right? I was. It's yeah. funny because when I met you, you know my, uh, my my fiance by this by like this point now she's seen the entire show, and like I. I kind of like grew up on it. It was like the first show I was watching in real time on HBO where it's like, Oh my God, you can say fuck on TV. That's awesome. Like my 12 year old <laughs> self is thinking that. <laughs> but um, I showed her the first three episodes of six a like right before the first day there, you know, the first one obviously being right. members only. Right. And uh like we walked by your table and I was like, Hey, this is a uh, Robert Fernero. He played uh, Eugene. And she goes, Oh, 
Oh, like re- remembering the last scene you were in? Yeah. So yes. it was it was definitely fun timing for that. <laughs> That's good. When it's fresh, it's always good. Fresh in people's minds. Ladies and gentlemen, I have Robert Fernaro, uh, star of you star on The Sopranos, The Irishman, um, American Gangster. You know, you um you play a role in said these like pivotal uh these pivotal mob dramas. Where did you get your start? Like what what was your first big break? Sopranos was my first big break. How'd you get that role? Um I did a play with James Gandolfini in Europe uh, about 12 or 13 years prior to Sopranos, about 15 years prior to Sopranos. Um, we toured A Streetcar Named Desire. I played Stanley. He played Mitch. No shit. Yeah. It was a Scandinavian tour. I forgot the name of the producer. He would produce... And, you know, I was going to HB Studios. No, actually, I wasn't going to HB Studios then. I, I had moved on from there. But I knew some people from Herbert Berghoff Studios who had done one of the Cuckoo's Nest, one flew over the Cuckoo's Nest. I forgot his name. He's a producer. He toured Germany. And now this one was going to be Scandinavia, Sweden. Nice theaters in Sweden, Finland, and Norway. And we went to all different kind of venues. And the venue didn't have to be a theater. It could be like a bar. You know what I mean? That was set up. We had a traveling set. Um, Mm. And so we did this for three months and we became friends. And then we moved on with our lives. I got married, had a child. I was really in and out of acting. And James pursued acting, continued to pursue acting. And he went to Hollywood and he got true romance. He got some really great things. And he came back to New York because Hollywood it wasn't for him. He's just a pure soul. So, I mean, I really can't really make that judgment about Hollywood. I never really lived there. I've been to Beverly Hills. So anyway, to make a long story short, or a short story even longer, <laughs> um, a friend of mine, I was working at Caroline's on Broadway. I was a manager at the time. And a friend of mine had... James, it was the second year of Sopranos, going on the third year of Sopranos, and James was at a party, and James always made himself accessible to people. So my friend, sure. Gordon, Gordon Silver, he's an actor too, um, he went up to him and said, hey, I know a friend of yours, you, you toured Street Call with him, Bobby Fanaro. Oh, Bobby, how's Bobby doing? He's doing good. And if I was you, I'd give him a part on your show, your hit show, Sopranos. So James remembered, well, where's Bobby working? You know, he's working at Caroline's Comedy Club. He's working at the club. And that's what James did. You know, there was a role available on the show. And James came down with Joe Fay, his driver, drove around a few comedy clubs. He couldn't remember which club. It's kind of a fairy tale kind of a story, you know. And uh, he came down. I was, I came down. Uh, Caroline's, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there, Dan, on, on Broadway? I, you know, I've been in New York all of once, didn't have a chance to stop okay. at Caroline's. I did go to the Comedy Cellar, though. Okay, well, the cellar's on street level, but Caroline's, you have to descend into the bowels of the building, mm. of this big uh, building on, uh, I think it's 1650 Broadway. It's a big building, uh, you know. And uh, he was at the bar. And I said, James, how you doing? I mean, I couldn't believe it. I saw him. You know, he was there. And 
How you doing, Bobby? Everything, we picked up where we left off and, and he told me he had a role for me to audition for. And Georgiana Walken, Chris Walken's wife, uh, she happened to have a place next door. A casting office was next door to Caroline's. I mean, next door in terms of the next, next block over. I think it was 50th Street or maybe it was 49th Street in Broadway. So I auditioned, I got the role and that's how I got my first big break. And it was through James and I stayed on the show. And, um, and I've been working professionally ever since. Was your first episode on the show the one where you and Christopher get made? No. The first episode on the show was with Joe Pantaleone and I think John Fiore. We, we go to uh, threaten a man and I threaten him with a baseball bat. I think that was the first one. The first okay. episode we, we with Joey Pants. And we went to someone's home. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, uh, when, yeah, with Livia's death. Yes. That was okay. the very first episode I did. How, was it interesting for you to be in an episode that had, uh, you know, Nancy Marchand's character in it, but she had already passed in real life? So, like, you know, you're a newcomer on the show. You're around a bunch of people who worked with her in real life trying to, like, work around the fact that she wasn't actually there. I really didn't have any scenes with Nancy. I mean, I really didn't interact with her. I was just one right. of the road crew guys, the April crew guys. Mm. You know, now it was Joey Pants' crew, Ralph Sefaretto crew. Right. So I really didn't have any interaction with Nancy Marchand. But you know, later on, I, I did see a lot of her. You know, you notice people once you get to know them. A lot of her early work, which is great TV work. You know what I mean? She had done some really great theater, too, from what I understand. So she's, uh, God rest her soul, you know. Oh, yeah, no, she was a fucking legend. Terrific. Yes. No, like, funny as hell, too, like, in everything she was yes. in. Well, um, you know, a lot of the humor comes from the seriousness of the... Um, these people really, truly believe in their hearts... I mean, when you get to a certain point, I think in life, everything is cut away. All that trivial bullshit, you know, it's, it becomes, this is the way it should be done my way. Absolutely. That's how she clashed with Tony, you know. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I love how her character just kind of looms over because, like, you realize she's only in the first two seasons, and then you, right. her character looms so large over the remaining, like, five seasons in the way right. that she's affected everybody else permanently. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I agree. Tell me about the, you know, major showcase for your character who, you know, played a pretty major supporting role up to um, like your huge showcase of an episode members only where, you know, we meet your wife, we, we meet your kids, we see what's going on in your life behind the scenes. And, you know, next to like, you know, Adriana and Christopher, I think you have the most like tragic ending to an arc on the series. Like, how was uh, getting that story and reading that script for the first time and realizing where your character goes and preparing for it? Yeah, well, I mean, I remember that summer because we'd always start in September or October, the show, we'd have a little hiatus. And in the springtime, have that hiatus and then come back. And I remember some friends, because you're in the business, telling me that, hey, you know, they're... 
they're casting for your wife. Did you know that? I said, no. Wow. Because you've never seen any scripts. David was very secretive. We never really saw. There were like four or five scripts to members only. I never really knew. And James is very quiet because that was a confidentiality that he had with David. Right. Uh, James would get shoot, shot. Tony Soprano would be shot at the end of that episode. I thought right. I was the one. I, I'm dead because that's the way I, the script I had. I hang myself. And that's the end of the story. So, uh, but it wasn't. So all these little things, you're casting your son. And I said, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, I mean, I could be like opening up here a little bit and, uh, or it could be something else. (laughs) So, um, and then of course I got the script and um, I thought it was great. Uh, Terry wrote a brilliant script and I liked the, the part itself because who doesn't want to, who cannot identify with, wanting to get out of, um, of a situation that you've been right. you've locked into. Um, and a lot of these guys were able to want to get out, but, you know, it's uh, not so easy. Once you've been made like that, you know, you've made an oath. You made an oath. Like, sure. like James, Tony says, you made an oath, you know. Yeah, like, uh, what are you, a football player? Yes, exactly. So. But I knew one thing. I knew that this was going to be something good for me because I knew people would remember me as the guy that wanted to leave and couldn't. And, you know, like Brando, Marlon Brando, I don't compare myself to him in any, in any, in any case. He had said that in, on the waterfront, he had that big scene in the car with yeah, the brother. Yeah, he could have been a contender. Exactly. So he said in an interview that people could really identify with what Bud Schoberg was saying there because we all could have been contenders, and they remember you because of that. And he said that if another actor did it, it would have had a, a big impact also. You know, another actor who did it, who was as not as a genius as him, but still would have had an impact because everyone wants to, could have been a contender. So everyone wants to, so I knew that that episode was, was special and it proved to be special when Terry um, won the Emmy for best dramatic episode. Mm. And it was, I was really proud to be a part of that. A lot of people say that, a lot of people say, well, you know, you're, you're a rat and, and, uh, um, and, and they say that um, Christopher says in the following episode, I had that mutt, you know what I mean? And uh, he, but to me, it was, yes, the walls, and they made it sure that the walls were closed, closing in on me with my son with the drugs, which was an add on. That scene was an add on with the drugs and right. the whole thing. Um, um, the walls were closing in, but I think it was proven when I went to the port, uh, to the, um, to the memorabilia book, the photography, you know, the, uh, we call that a shoot, man, I'll tell you, um, you know, that when I was looking at the pictures of us in Florida, you know, that, that, uh, uh, meant a lot to me. And I think it was more to liberate them. What I did, that's the way I saw it. You know what I mean? That the only way out was for me to end my life. For sure. So, I mean, maybe I, being the martyr a little bit, but uh, that's the way I, I, I saw it. Yeah. 
what were um you know your the scene of your death is essentially a single shot of you hanging yourself in the basement what were the mechanics of that scene like like what was like the movie magic in making it look like you your body was like hanging from the ceiling well wonderful stunt coordinator pete bogosi who did all the stunts the chief stunt coordinator pete bogosi on sopranos we had worked uh in getting uh, a brace. We had to get the right brace because, hey, listen, I'm not, mm. uh, well, back then I was about 170, you know. Well, not, actually not once, about, about two, 225. Um, but we had to get the right brace. I'm a big guy. So we, had, at the Bada Bing, we started rehearsing that hang scene at the Bada Bing outside. We oh, wow. they made a tent. <laughs> they made a tent and, you know, early in the episode, when they had time, if I had a scene in the Bada Bing in that particular episode, and, um, well, they called me in, I don't, I don't recall, and we were going to rehearse a little bit in the tent. So people come up saying, hey, what's this tent for? And they, we just give them, you know, just tell them anything else. <laughs> it's, it's a circus, you know, it's, they couldn't tell them. We were rehearsing it. So we had that one rehearsal there. And then Pete knew what he needed. So he sent to California for the special brace. You know, and of course he made me feel secure with it. You know, he hung me with it, you know, on the day of the, of the day of the set and it was secure. So, I mean, and of course the rope was just a false rope, you know, sure. one that, just, you know, was it just hung there. So, I mean, yeah, naturally. It was a lot of, there was a lot, of, there was a lot to thought that went into the uh, hanging myself, mm. you know, and one of the longest hang scenes I think in television. What people tell me, I think uh, I remember I reading that around the time it aired. David kind of likes that. I just was watching that one with the Ray Rossi, the one that Tony's out in the in the in the field, and he and he gets the rat. What's his name? Um, I know Ray Rossi. He's the actor. He strangles him. Uh, he's a oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I was just watched a clip from that, and I noticed that that, that was a long strangle scene, man. And, and I think it's true. You know, you don't really, you think you just see. The, you know, the one in, like, of, the Blue Comet where, like, Syl gets him with the piano wire. Yeah, I know, I, yeah. I know, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember the yeah. character name. And I met yeah. him at that Sopranos con dinner, too. I feel terrible now. <laughs> I feel terrible. We're getting older. That's all we can do. We're going to do now. Um, you know, on top that was of, the mechanics uh, of it. That was the mechanics of it, you know. Movie magic, ladies and gentlemen, movie magic. Yeah. On top of you being in uh, you know, hands down my favorite series of all time, you were also in my favorite series of all time to get canceled after one season. You were in vinyl. Yeah. With uh Bobby Cannavale, uh Ray Romano, you know, Martin Scorsese behind the camera, Terry Winter as the showrunner. What uh, what was that set like? Because like you're on the set with a bunch of funny motherfuckers set in the seventies, some great costumes. Like, tell me about your experience there. Oh, that was uh, that was my first experience with Martin Scorsese, mm. uh, and it was wonderful because he just makes you feel at home, at ease. It's family. Uh, Bobby Carnaval, great guy, uh, approachable. No hierarchy. Even Ray Romano, we, I mean, the whole group, which we wound up working together in The Irishman. Right. 
uh, of good people. So it was, it, the set was very much like Sopranos in the sense that everyone liked each other and they, there were no, a lot of, there weren't a lot of egos, you know, and uh, Carnival is very down to earth. And it was a pleasure to work on the set, even with Armin Garrow, who played Galasso. Armin, right. I knew. Armin, I knew from, you know, theater, stuff like that. Well, actually, that was the first introduction to Armin that I, I first met Armin officially then. Oh, yeah, but, he played, uh, uh, he played uh, Coco as well. Yeah, he played Coco as well, yes, on Sopranos. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a great experience. I'm, I'm sad that, the, that it was canceled. But, like, musical stuff, yeah, it's just hard because some people I would ask, musical people that I know who are in the industry, some liked it, some hated it because right. they were on the inside. I mean, the corruption that went on, the, germina- the germ of the, I- the idea, the root of the idea, which was Mick Jagger, who course went through the ringer with producers and stuff right. like that they knew the um the injustice on artists they were raped uh which is i was a part of you know colossal we were a part of that that faction that was making money from the artists and stuff our first scene we we uh, i remember atto <laughs> we threatened him with a baseball bat you know i mean right so, I mean, it was true. Morris Levy, if you read Tommy James' biography, Tommy James and the Shondells, uh, it's a great, interesting book that really is about, like, vinyl. It's a true story mm-hmm. of vinyl. Um, but it's a very broad story, so it's hard to get everything in. And I think that the drugs got a little bit in the way, too, became a little bit too much with the drugs and everything. And, of course... At that time, when it was out, I mean, we weren't glorifying drugs anymore. You know right. what I mean? The, I mean, the opiates leading to heroin and stuff like that. It was, I don't know, mixed, mixed signals. I mean, I wish it would have stayed on. I thought it was very good, man. But Here, here's my take on that series. Like, I, yeah. I definitely agree with a lot of critics that it had some problems with, like, tone and pacing. And I think right. it got a little gratuitous with, like, the shots of, like you know, Richie doing coke and like kind of like I get it. But at the same time, even The Sopranos, like season one had it struggled to find its tone. Like season one of The Sopranos was trying to like at its core be a comedy, which obviously it wound up not being in later seasons. And I feel like vinyl would have had an absolutely legendary season two had it gotten a chance especially with characters like uh, like Andrea Zito, Lester Grimes, like could have had some, you know, amazing arcs. Uh, Ray Romano's character, Zach, would have, you know, had some great season two shit going on. And I feel like it would have been best if they kind of brought Richie back to a supporting character. And, you know, let it be mostly be about his interactions with everybody else at the company. Yeah, I, I think that, that's correct. I think that, well, you know what I mean? There are experts at music. I, right. I felt that, um, and I don't know what uh, Stevie Van Zandt was doing, but uh, geez, if I was doing the show, I would have definitely brought him in because he's a rock and roll historian. Right. You know, and uh, I just would have brought him in as a New York element. You know what I mean? I know Mick Jagger was doing it. And of course, Marty, and it was Terry, 
but uh, I would have definitely um, kind of had got his input on it, even if it cost me two million or whatever it would have cost. Because I think if you listen to the Underground Garage and his show on Sirius, oh, it's such a uh, good radio, show. It's a rock and roll show that you know, and the and the stories are just brilliant. Um, it would have been a little bit more about the music than it was about like what you were talking about, the drugs and everything, you know. Right. I mean so but, but yeah, like I, I think it would have worked that shit out, you know, naturally had it been given yes. a second season. Yeah, I think so. It's like every series needs to like have time to find its legs and figure out what it's trying to be. Yeah, I I, I believe so. I mean if you look at Sinner, you know, the, the thing I would did with Jessica Biel. Did you ever watch that? The first I've season? never seen Sinner. Well, you really should, because the first season is brilliant and she was brilliant. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was scary and, and uh, it was kind of like Twin Peaks, kind of. Uh, oh, that's right at my alley. With Pullman, and, um, and she was brilliant. And I played her father-in-law. And I think that and then they made, I think they were not expecting it to be such a hit. And of course, they made the second season. They used all new actors. But, uh, geez, that, she could have had a job for like four or five, ten years maybe with that with that series. So you don't know. I mean, you don't know what's going to do. Of course, she, Jessica has a baby and something with Justin Timberlake. I don't know what their situation is. But mm. it was that good that you know, people will want to see her. She was really terrific. And people want to see her again. You know, another, you know, but... Who knows with these things, you know, I think when they were doing Sopranos, they were saying, eh, we're going to do this. And we're going to move on. And I do the same thing with pilots. I've been in, uh, not numerous, but I've been a handful of pilots that right. I thought I was in a pilot with Jeremy Renner for the Unforgettables. I thought that was going to oh, wow. be it before, before Hurt Locker came out. Oh, wow. And Hurt, Locker came, Hurt Locker came out and then, bam, he was skyrocketing, you know, to, and he's a terrific, brilliant actor and a musician too, a pianist. And I thought that was gone. There was no way, uh, uh, Tambra, Amber, uh, Amber Tamberlane, and I, it was that was going to be great, you know. And I was, I went in for one line, and boy, I was, I was. They were developing a character for me. I mean, it, but it's you know who knows. You know? Well, it's very much like how so many people's parts in vinyl wound up, you know, leading to people's parts in The Irishman, which yeah. you know was nominated for all the Oscars, you know, got so much attention on Netflix, you know, wound up being released in theaters. What was, uh, you know, you were, you were in, you know, one of the most Oscar nominated movies of last year. What, what was that set experience like? And then what was, um, did you see an influx in both attention and opportunities after that film came out? Well, um, it 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 um, it definitely is great to, and it's a definitely a, a notch in your belt to work with Robert De Niro, and of course to work with Martin Scorsese and Bobby Cannavale and Ray Romano, all those guys. But for myself, it was a it, it was more um, uh, a great achievement in my life to, to make it to that point to be sure. in a scene with Robert De Niro, my hero, and Taxi Driver, and all those things. So I felt very um, uh, pleased with the work and, and, and what I did, uh, what I was given and, and, and what I did. So it was a, it was a career, um, you call that a, a personal best, you know, mm. you know what I mean? In terms of the work, things opening up for me, but I thought after members only things would open up a lot more, but, uh, this is a really weird 
business, uh, the one that we I've chosen. A lot of actors, um, you, you know, you think things are gonna, and you don't know something else happens, and bam, you're off. Yeah, you super know, fucking fickle. This business of show. Yeah, it is. The Irishman was a great personal achievement, and I really enjoyed it. And and I thought the end product was fantastic. And like a lot of Marty's movies, films. Uh, ten years from now, seven years from now, people are going to really appreciate it. I also thought that you know Netflix kind of short. They wanted to, to put it on the TV format now with the pandemic and everything. It's proven to be true that films could be produced and released on Netflix and released on Absolutely. personal channels. So they knew something ahead of it. They were a little bit ahead of their time. Although I think that you know, because people measure film success by how much money it made. There was all these people saying the first weekend wasn't very good, but they got a wonderful review in the Times. And I thought that um, perhaps they should have had a wide release instead of a limited release of it. And, and I think on the I first disagree. weekend, the, the first weekend it would have been a, you know, would have blew up. And then it was what it was. And of course, when it gets on TV, people say, oh, it's so long, it's so long. Well, when you're in the theater, it's not long to me. It's not very long to me. I go to the theater. I, I love to sit in the film theater for three hours. I did it as a like, child. Do, do people not remember buying a copy of Titanic that had like the three VHS tapes for the one? Yes. Get the fuck out of here. I know. So, I mean, like, that, Meet that, Joe that, Black yeah. has two of them. I don't. Like, come on. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And like, I, the thing I really appreciated about the Irishman was, um, it took, you know, the the story of Jimmy Hoffa, you know, and everything surrounding it and turn it into this little like slice of life movie. Like it didn't have, you know, at all like the the necessary beats that made your cliche biopic film like, you know, Marty kind of like bypass all of that and turned it into more of a relatable character study. Yes, yeah. absolutely. All the characters. I mean, it was just a great ensemble. And I don't think it really could be told in an hour and a half. The this man's this man's rise to power, rise to union, and there are a lot of good things that he did. And I think that that was definitely in the film. Also, the good things that he did. At the same time, it's a lesson. I think when one walks away with uh, um, heavy is the head that wears the crown, mm. and, and 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 ego and pride when he came back from prison, how bullheaded he was and how uh, Frank Sheeran and wonderfully played by Robert De Niro was doing his best to tell him to go along with the program because, you know, and he didn't, wouldn't listen because he let that power, I think, get to his head and uh, it was his demise, you know? Sometimes I think you have to be able to walk away from things. Well, a lot of times in life, you need to be able to walk away right. from, but at that, at his level and what he thought who he was, uh, look, you're not going to correct <laughs> my Cosa Nostra. That is, that's there. And that was originally, originally that was uh, created because the Kings and the Queens, they would not give true justice to the people, to the people who, who, who worked. Uh, it was created to protect the people. And then, of course, it became 
uh, is shot out into other areas of violence and, and grafting and, and uh, gambling and, and stuff. And of course, then drugs and everything. But it's, it's the root of Cosa Nostra was to protect people from, well, very much like in The Godfather, that person who comes to The Godfather, uh, you know, the father, his daughter was raped and everything, you know, and he says, I'm going to get justice, but I'm not going to kill him because it's too extreme. But, right. you know, things like that. That's what was the root of, of people fail to see, you know, they don't really, they only see the bad things, you know. I'm not, I'm not justifying the violence, but I'm also yeah. saying that it was there to protect people from the injustice of the people who were in power. And, you know, on absolutely, I couldn't agree more with all of that. And on top of that, it, it should just be like a silent understanding, you know, in real life that regardless of the government, be it a monarchy, be it a, like a democracy, like we're fucking supposed to have out here, you know, whatever the rules are, you got to understand there's always going to be that group of people trying to work around them. Like that is never going to change. Yeah. Yeah. So the, my last question for you is actually kind of a personal question. Um, I am, uh, I, I've been trying to go on a diet. I've been trying to like, you know, cut down on my dairy intake. Why do you have to, why do you have to keep posting all that really good food on your Instagram? Are you fucking with me, Bob? I am. I, but the thing is, is that, uh, (laughs) I've gained COVID weight too, uh, quite a bit, at least 15 to 20 pounds. I don't show it because I'm a little tall. I'm a tall, so it's proportionate. But when I take off my shirt, I definitely see it. You know, uh, I've been thinking about cutting back a little bit. There's so many people who are who are, who are really struggling out there. You know, really looking for the, the, to get their next meal. You know, I find myself saying, "Well, maybe I shouldn't post uh, all this food stuff." You know, <laughs> I'm feeling kind of guilty of it. You know, since oh, it, it, it was. Um... It was a running joke between my fiance and I a few months ago when we were doing a whole 30 diet at the same time, we'd be like 12, 13 days in. And then we look at our phone. God damn it, Robert Fernaro. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy cooking. I enjoy cooking. I enjoy the, the art of cooking, the preparation. It's very much like creating a role. And then, of course, you're repeating it and you're repeating it like in the stage. And, and then you add something to it that. It really takes it over the top. Like the peppers, the stuffed peppers I made the other day, they were really excellent. Uh, you know, I, I never really mixed the sausage in with the meat, uh, with the chopped meat, and that really took it to another level. But, you know, these are things that people pass on. And I love the way it's passed on, you know. Awesome. Well, Robert, thank you so much for taking the time out to be on here. Is there anything you want to plug before we head out? Uh um, just, just We're good. stay safe. I want to plug everyone wear a mask, stay safe, you know, social, be socially yeah. distant. That's all right. You don't got to show me a mask. You're inside, you're by yourself, whatever. It doesn't matter. You see, I'm just trying to be an example for the people. <laughs> smart and vote and do the right thing in your heart. Let your heart and your character um, be true. To thine own self be true. I'll end with that. Polonius to, to Laodice. You hear that? That was pretty exciting and wild, wasn't it? 
I want to thank Robert for coming on the show, taking the time out. I want to thank you for listening, and in lieu of following my ass on social media at Sewell Media on everything, I encourage you to go fucking vote this Tuesday if you haven't already. There is no excuse. One might say that this one actually matters. So until next time, may the road rise up to meet you motherfuckers. I'm Dan Carlin. Good night.